0: Thanks for reading that out, there's a reason I asked you to do that because of all those complicated names. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's great to be here this morning, as you've heard we're from Grantham Baptist Church, we moved there in January as a family from the northwest of England, Blackburn, we call that the promised land um, and we're hoping that the promised land is going to expand across the rest of the country uh, from there. Um, but I was actually brought up in Grantham. Uh, I lived there for 19 years, but at the age of 19, I moved away to Manchester. Um, And I actually grew up in the church that we now lead, which is quite strange. When I left Grantham 20-odd years ago, um, my church didn't start at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning or at half 10 on a Sunday morning. My church started on a, every evening at about midnight and closed normally about 6 a.m. because of the lifestyle I was leading. Um, and it was really fascinating the way that God brings people back a full circle. Thankfully, he pulled me out of the gutter that my life was in, placed my feet on solid ground and drew me back to him. And now I'm back leading the church actually helped, not solely responsible, but helped put me off Jesus. Don't tell them that bit. I haven't told them that bit just yet. Please keep that bit of secret. Sorry? It's recorded. it's recorded. You could have warned me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry? Some no, not all. Um, but it's really strange as well because the elders of our church were also the elders when I was a little lad as well. So that's really strange now, coming back to lead with the team that knew me as a nice boy and as a not very nice teenager as well. Um, but yeah, it's great to be with you. Um, and it's great, isn't it, to come together and worship. And even though we've never been here before, because we're here under the name of Jesus, it feels like we're family. It feels like we felt the welcome and the love as we walked through the door this morning. doesn't happen anywhere else, that does it? Um, so thank you so much for welcoming us. Over the last few years, Susie and I and the boys, we've been on a real journey where God seems to have really begun to dismantle what we think church is and the role and the function of the church, and how we operate and the things that we do. and Why do we do what we do? And that kind of really started during that dreaded time that we all want to forget, beginning with C. Am I allowed to say the C word in here? covid right it destroyed a lot didn't it but actually during that time i think god used it to really speak and to open up our hearts so that we could be reminded actually of well what is god doing today is it about the gatherings that we have or is there more that's at stake are we doing things in the way that god did it because i don't know about you but when i when i open my bible and i read about the early church particularly in the book of Acts and then I lift my eyes and I look to see what the church has become I see a massive disparity I see there's actually quite a big difference between what I read there and what I see happening before me and so during COVID I think God really began to challenge us and speak to us about how we can get back to the way that it was in the beginning when Jesus ascended to heaven Leaving that commission with the disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have taught you. Or in Acts chapter one eight, when we're reminded that we'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And when we receive that power, we'll be able to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's our commission. That was the commission then. That's still our commission now. And we need to realize that when we receive the power of the Holy Spirit, we are enabled to go out and speak the gospel in language that everybody understands. That's what happened at Pentecost, right? That when the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost, the tongues of fire rested on the heads of those who believed. And they spilled out into the street being able to speak unknown languages. Languages that everyone else around them could speak. And it illuminated the truth of the gospel. And we read that day that 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. 3,000 people were added to their number, they were baptized, and then little communities began to form. And the church spread like wildfire. We're meant to be a multiplying movement. We're meant to be seeing our disciples multiplied, leaders multiplied, churches multiplied. But when I think about the church we're part of, we're so from that so far from that so far from that but that's still the same commission today the theme one of the themes that runs from genesis to revelation is this theme of multiplication go forth and multiply go forth and multiply we read it in the old testament and then that's the commission that jesus left us with when he ascended go and multiply and one of the things that the Lord really spoke to us during this time of COVID was this thing about foundations and how the foundations need to change. And I don't know if you've ever spent any time reading the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. But if you haven't spent time reading that and allowing God to speak to you through that, I really believe that they are books for today. I really believe that they are books that speak directly to where we're at today. Because let's face it, COVID began to destroy lots of things, didn't it? Lots of people didn't come back from COVID, they have got lost somewhere. And we seem to be at this point now where we need to do a little bit of rebuilding and a little bit of, of, um, of, of building or digging new foundations. And I really do feel that there's a rubber ball. By the way, I love that name. I was joking with Susie earlier um, that if we had another boy, which we're not going to, <laughs> two boys is plenty, I love them. But any more would be, wow, I don't know how people do it. Um, but if we were to have another boy, I think we would call him Zerubbabel. What a great name. Could you imagine being in the park and shouting Zerubbabel? Could you imagine that? That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Maybe we settle for a dog and call the dog Zerubbabel instead. Come on, boy. Anyway, I, I honestly think that Zerubbabel is one of those underestimated characters in the Bible. I do believe that he is somebody that we need to look at and see what he carried and begin to see what it means to be like Zerubbabel today. I mean, ultimately, we want to be like Jesus. But actually, we can learn so much from characters in the Bible, can't we? Uh, And Zerubbabel is one of those characters. I'm just going to keep saying it because I love the name. (laughs) But here's just a little bit of context to this book. The Israelites had been in exile... They'd been banished to a place called Babylon, and they were under the rule of foreigners. Sources are a little unclear as to how many years this had lasted. But we're probably looking at about 48 years of living in exile. 48 years of living under foreign rule. And for about 48 years, the Israelites were punished by God. Punished, why? Because of their disobedience and idolatry. But yet, to fulfill a prophecy given to Jeremiah, God softened the heart of King Cyrus of Persia and sent anyone whose hearts were stirred by God to go and build the temple. And we read in Ezra 1 that it was the priests, it was the Levites, and the leaders of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And right at the forefront of this movement, Was a man named Zerubbabel. He wasn't mentioned in in uh, Ezra chapter one, but you'll see his name mentioned in different points uh, in Ezra chapter two, and in different parts of the Bible as well. But these guys would have been the pioneers of the day. The ones who had been brave enough to move in an or to walk in an unwalked path. Pioneers who other people would have looked at and thought they were mad and crazy. Some people, these were the people who were called to tread the unbeaten path. Do you know what? We need to thank God for the pioneers. Even though they may annoy us, even though they may frustrate us, even though we may not understand them, we need to thank God for the pioneers. And I'm not just saying this because we are, Susie and I are pioneering, or Catherine and Stuart are pioneering. I'm saying this because we need pioneers. We need people who are willing to go forward and walk that path that has not been tread before to make the way for others to come and follow. We need to be blessing pioneers even if we don't fully understand what they are saying. Even if it challenges our walk with Jesus, even if we may not always believe what they're doing is right, we need to bless the pioneers in our churches up and down the country. And if there are pioneers in here, I hope that you will know that people are behind you and praying for you and cheering you on. Okay, they may not always get it right, pioneers. But actually, if we're not pioneering ourselves, we need to trust God that those who are pioneering are able to hear his voice. So let's be blessing our pioneers. Anyway, back to Zerubbabel. Who was he? Like I say, in my opinion, he is an underrated... in the Bible. Just listen to this. The ball was the grandson of King Jehoiakim, the last king of Judah before the Babylonian exile. He was born in Babylon during the exile, so he was a Jew that was born in exile in captivity. He was also a descendant of King David. And if he was a descendant of King David, he's also a descendant of King Jesus. He had strong... Jewish roots, but yet he grew up in the Babylon's courts and was educated in all things to do with politics and military. But he found favor under King Cyrus II and was sent back to Jerusalem to lead the effort to rebuild God's temple. He was a leader who was willing to lead an entourage of camels, men, women, and children nearly 900 miles from Babylon back to Jerusalem. Taking nearly four months to walk. It's a lot of walking, isn't it? And bear in mind, he would know the story of the Jews leaving Israel. He would know the battles that were faced. He had no idea how long it would actually take this walk, I'm sure, but four months leading an entourage of men, women, children and animals. It would have taken nearly four months to complete the journey. Not an easy thing to do. But I don't know whether there had been any kind of excitement as they embarked upon this walk, upon this journey back to their homeland. Looking forward to returning back home. Do you ever get that when you go on holiday? And you come home and you think, that holiday was good, but I'm glad to be back. You know, I'm sure on Friday when we return from holiday, we'll be thinking, yes, I'm glad we're home. But that's from returning from a good time. Imagine returning home from 48 years of captivity. Imagine returning home from 48 years of being oppressed by another people group. Imagine then the excitement about returning home. But when they arrived back, they noticed that the city had been completely and utterly obliterated. Imagine returning back home and seeing that the desolation that had been caused in that city, in your hometown. The state of disrepair that it was in. The first thing you would have probably seen would have been the city walls and you would have seen that they were broken and not fit for purpose. It wasn't by any means the city they had left a few years before going into exile with the Babylonians. The former glory that they had left, it had gone, it had disappeared, it was no longer there. The temple had been destroyed. The city and the city walls completely destroyed as well. Nothing left. The whole city was in an absolute state. Not the sight that you particularly want to see when coming home after an arduous journey back from a difficult time in exile. But this is the case. This is what they were encountering. This is the challenge that Zerubbabel faced in his life. And Zerubbabel, he was charged with the responsibility of overseeing this great work. This would not have been an easy thing to do at all. There would have been so much pressure in leading this job. Because let us remember what the temple represented. It was the rubber ball that led the the team to rebuild the temple. The temple was the thing that showed the rest of the world that they were God's chosen people. It was different to church buildings that we have today. Because in the Old Covenant, it, became, it was the temple was the touching place between heaven and earth. So the, the, the place where their God, the God that we worship, meets earth had been completely destroyed. But Zerubbabel had the challenge of rebuilding this temple. Of rebuilding the place where God touched earth. It was the place where the glory of God dwelt and lived. It was the place where people went to meet with God. It's a place to speak with him, to pray. And it's a place where God communed with humans. And a place where prayers were directed and answered. And here's a rubber ball trying to rebuild this temple. Could you imagine the expectation that was placed on him? Could you imagine what he, what people wanted him to do and what they expected? It's quite difficult managing expectations of people, isn't it? But imagine managing the expectations of people in the rebuilding of such an important building at such an important time in their history. Because let's remember, he wasn't just building a new temple. It was replacing a temple that had been destroyed. One, the temple that David had wanted to build but actually didn't get to, and Solomon ended up building it. It was vast, it was big, it was huge, It would have been an incredible sight. Not only would it have hosted the glory of God, but it reflected the glory of God as well. This would have been an incredible piece of architecture that was miles ahead of its time. And like I said, there would be many people piling on the pressure. So many demands of what it should look like and how it should reflect the former glory of the temple. But Zerubbabel, a pioneer, had to take this pressure on his shoulders. Not only the pressure of that, but actually following what God wanted in this time as well. In this new season, as Jerusalem was being built, he had to carry God's call as well, and what God wanted to see happen. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't know where to start with something like this. I wouldn't know where to start with rebuilding something that had so much significance in a nation that so had so much significance to a whole people group. I'm not sure where to would start. Where would you start in that place? Would you start with the walls? Would you start with the foundations? Zerubbabel didn't start with any of those things. Zerubbabel started by building an altar. He built the altar on the same site that the old altar was on. He started in that place of sacrifice. Because actually he realized that they were a sinful people. That they they were in exile because of the mess that they'd made things. They were in exile because they disobeyed God's commands. Because they'd chosen to worship other gods. Zerubbabel realized that we're a sinful people. And as we know in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant... We know that people had to make sacrifices to make themselves right with God. That they'd have to give the best of the animals that they owned in order to make themselves right with God. So that was the starting point for Zerubbabel, to build an altar so they could make themselves right with God first. Because it's important, before we do anything... Before we do anything, whether it's going out and, and, and serving the people in our community or whether it's coming along on a Sunday morning, we need to make sure that we're in a good place with God. But praise God we don't need to sacrifice animals anymore. Praise God that we live under the new covenant where it's actually got nothing to do with us but everything to do with Jesus and the sacrifice that he made on the cross. Not that that gives us a license to keep messing up, by the way. Make that clear. But Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. But we still have responsibility to make sure that we are in a right place and in a good place with God. So as a rubber ball started with an altar, he started in that place of sacrifice. What's the difference today? We don't sacrifice animals. We just lay our lives down. Our lives become that altar. We become less so that he can become more in us. Let's remind ourselves of the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live. For me, for, me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. We need to lay our lives down on the altar. We need to say, Jesus, it's not about me. It's not about what I can do. It's not about my plans, my desires, my wants, because if it was, it wouldn't look anything like this. But Jesus, I choose to be that altar. I choose to lay everything down so that you can begin to build on my life. Because no longer is it about the building, Buildings are great. They help us and facilitate us to gather. But no longer are they the touching points between heaven and earth. No longer is the temple the important place. It's our hearts that are now the important place. We've become the temple. We know, don't we, that the people of God are the body of Christ. That we become temples of the Holy Spirit. And we need to make sure that our bodies and our hearts are right to carry the glory of God in the same way that the temple was there to host the presence of God. But we need to make sure that our lives are a sacrifice. laid down for him so that he can build what he wants to build on top of them. It's about laying down our desires, our wants, our our personal and selfish hopes and desires. Because when we give our lives to Jesus, we're no longer part of the kingdom of this world. But we're a part of the kingdom of God where Jesus reigns and rules. Where Jesus is sovereign. Where Jesus is over it all. And so suddenly, our hopes, dreams and desires get pushed to one side. So that his can reign in us. And so that we can be people who build the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this world. What about these words from Jesus in John eleven twenty five? 25? This is in the context of, of Jesus speaking to Martha after the death of Lazarus, but before he was called out of the tomb. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He says to Martha. It's one of those funny things, isn't it, that if we die to ourselves, if we allow ourselves to die and allow ourselves to become new creations, we find life in all its fullness. We find life in all its fullness when we lay our lives down. Before we do anything, we need to make sure that we are completely surrendered to him and his plans. Once a rubber ball and the band of priests were happy that the sacrifices were complete, they could then start to build the foundations. So before we go into the foundations, there's so much we can learn from this. My question to you is, have you, is your life a sacrifice to Jesus? Is your life an altar to him? Is your life in a state where it can carry and host the presence of God? Have you done business with him? Are you right with God? Have you laid everything down and surrendered to him? Because if we haven't done that, quite honest, we may as well all go home. Because this is as far as it's going to go. We will not get any further than this. So after building the altar... Zerubbabel then went on to dig the foundations. And I don't know if you've ever read Ezra chapter 3, but what a difficult job that is. It was brutal. They had to go up the Lebanese mountains, bring down logs, float them across the Mediterranean Sea. That's not an easy thing to do, is it? Climbing mountains, carrying logs, floating them across the sea, just so you could even before you could even begin to start building the foundations. Back breaking work, it's difficult. But then when the foundations were complete, there was this mixture of celebration and lament and mourning. And some of the priests were so happy about the, these new foundations that had been completed that they put on all their, their priestly garments uh, the, the, you know, according to the law of Moses and they began to celebrate and they worshipped God. But there are others among them that looked at the new foundations and wept because it was nothing like the old and so together, this, this sound of mourning and celebration fused together and made a sound that could be heard for miles around. The priests that were mourning and lamenting hadn't realized the words of Isaiah. See, forget the former things. See, I'm doing a new thing. There's got to be a forgetting of what's gone before so that the new can fully be birthed. And again, during COVID, these were verses that we heard so many times. See, I am doing a new thing. But are we ready to forget what's gone before? Are we ready to forget the former things that so we can step into the new thing that God has for us today? The thing with the foundations, they were smaller than the original foundations. So they knew, the older priests knew that the temple wasn't going to be anywhere near the size that the original one was. And they began to be concerned, well, actually, hang on a minute, if this one is smaller, is it going to be less significant than the first one? Because size is surely, surely important. Surely it needs to be big so it can reflect the glory of God and carry the presence of God. But we have these small tiny. these are inadequate. Surely these foundations aren't going to stand the weight of a temple that has the glory of God in it. Surely that can't happen. But if we fast forward a few hundred years, it was Jesus that walked into that temple, into that small temple that was seen as insufficient, insignificant, not good enough, not big enough. Yet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords enters into that temple a few hundred years later. So often we have it in our minds, don't we, that big is better, that big is the way that we need to be, that we need to gather huge amounts of people, and that is a successful church. Well, yes it may be successful but listen i don't want to be a successful church i want to be a victorious church and there is a difference success isn't me- when we think about success it's the world measures success but actually god measures victory that's his measuring stick are we living in his victory and listen that's got nothing to do with size if we look at, if we really take apart the way that the early church started, it started in homes, around dinner tables, people breaking bread together, around tables, around foods. And that just multiplied and grew and got big very, very quickly. We're at a point now, sorry, the, the old temple, the foundations were rendered unfit for purpose. There needed to be a new building. It wasn't a renovation project, this. This wasn't a making something look nicer project. This was a complete starting from scratch because the foundations just weren't able to hold the weight of a building anymore or the old foundations just weren't stable anymore. And I kind of feel that we're moving to a point where God is saying to us today, the foundations for the for the people of God, the foundations for my children aren't good aren't fit for purpose anymore we need to start seeing new foundations being laid and it's when these new foundations are being laid we'll be able to step into something new that god is doing properly the old foundations as we know they're about bigging up and building big so that everybody can see but i think the new foundations that the lord's wanting to dig to build today are about digging deep into him It's not about going, look at us, look at this great building we've got, look at these great facilities we've got. It's not about that anymore. I don't know if you've heard of a guy called Jared Cooper. But a few years ago, he put a post on Facebook saying, I am done with Attractional Church. Praise God. We need to become a people who dig deep into Jesus. And as we dig deep into Jesus, people will see that there is something different about us. And they'll be drawn to us because the light of Christ will be shining out in ways that it hasn't done before. No longer is it about building these great facilities. But it's about us digging deep into Jesus and allowing him to shape our lives in new, in new ways. What else do these new foundations look like for us today? Well, we need to realize that we are all part of different tribes that are all part of the same kingdom. I love that this morning we started the service by praying for other churches in Cambridge because we need to bring ourselves to a greater partnership in the gospel. We need to bring ourselves to a place of greater partnership in seeing Cambridge won for Jesus and seeing Grantham won for Jesus. It's only going to happen if, if tribes come together and drop the competition that's been there between churches historically and say, do you know what? We're in this together. We are in this together. We celebrate with you. We champion with you but we also mourn and weep with you as well. Your victory is our victory because we're part of the same body. Ephesians 4 tells us that there is one church, that there is one body, but yet we refer to ourselves as, well, my church and your church. How can that be so if there's only one? We're all part of the same church, regionally, locally, nationally, globally. There is one church. And we need to start operating as tribes that come together. Very quickly, I'm aware of time. I don't know how I look, What time you normally finish? Good. I'm good. <laughs> Two o'clock. <laughs> I haven't got that much to give. <laughs> but in, in the book of Exodus, we read, obviously, don't we, the story of Israelites leaving Egypt and leaving captivity. And they get to the Red Sea, and they're thinking, Flip, how do we cross this? and Moses raises his staff, and the waters part, and they all go through, and it's an amazing act of the miraculous power of God. But then in Joshua chapter 3, we read about Joshua is now leading the Israelites, and they have yet another river to cross, the Jordan River. But this time, instead of Joshua going over and hovering his arm over it, the, the, the representatives of the 12 tribes came together, picked up the Ark of the Covenant of God, and walked into the water, and the water separated. And the Israelites all went through. It needed all 12 tribes to pick up the Ark of the Covenant. We're not going to see this nation change for Jesus unless we come together as tribes. Tribes are important, but there are different things we have to do. But we all need to come together to see this nation one for Jesus. It's not going to work if we operate in isolation anymore. Right again, right from Genesis to Revelation, we see that God wants us to commune with each other and with him. We need to make sure that we are coming together as tribes to work for the glory of God. The other thing I want to touch on briefly, and I've mentioned it a little bit already, but the older priests wanted to return to the former glory. Glory and they forgot about the new glory that was coming. And I know that in our nation, we have a rich history of what it means to be the church. And we've had people write letters of resignation to the church. We're part of saying we hope to return when Grantham Baptist returns to its former glory. I don't want a former glory. I don't want the glory that's gone before. I want to be part of a new thing that God's doing a new glory because actually the new thing would be better than the former glory so we may look and think of the church that we're a part of and look back 20 30 years and think oh, back then surely it was better surely it was better back then but let's not look backwards let's look to a new glory a new thing that God wants to do in our midst Again, the Israelites we can learn so much from that—that that journey of the Israelites, can't we? Leaving Egypt to find the promised land. The Israelites began to moan and whinge and look back with rose glasses about what being in slavery was like. They began to want crave cucumber sandwiches because, in Egypt, they had cucumbers, they had garlic, they had meat. But on this journey they're on, all they had was manna from God. They looked back and wanted cucumber sandwiches. They looked back to the way things were and began to crave going back to that direction without thinking about the promised land that they're about to enter, a land flowing with milk and honey. They wanted to go back, not look forward. But let's be a church, let's be a people. Look forward to the new thing. Look forward to where he's leading us today, not where he led us 20 years ago. Let's forget the former things. Because do you not perceive it? I am doing a new thing of which we are all a part of. And we all have something to do in that and a part to play. I'm going to pray and then hand back to Catherine.